Hello, and welcome to this episode of Adoption Unfiltered. I'm one of your hosts, Lori Holden. I'm an adoptive parent, and I'm joined today by Sarah Easterly, an adoptee, my other co-host and uh, co-author, and Kelsey Vandervliet-Renyard, my other co-host and co-author. And today we are talking in our um, adoption activism and advocacy series with the amazing Betsy Norris of Adoption Network Cleveland. Betsy has been in the space a long time as an adoptee and as an activist. Um, she was instrumental in changing the laws in Ohio to allow adoptees, adult adoptees to receive their um, original birth certificates. And that was a multi-decade fight that Betsy's gonna tell us about. So Betsy, thank you so much for being here today. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. So. As to start, how about you just tell us a bit about how you came to be in this space? You were, you grew up as, a, as as an adopted person, and then what happened? Oh, I was the type of kid that asked a lot of questions, and luckily my parents were good with that, but they didn't have any answers. Um, I grew up with flaming red hair, and people used to ask me all the time where I got my red hair. Was I Irish? You know, um, and uh, I. When I was in my 20s in the 1980s, so pre-internet, um, you know, I had thought my whole life up to that point of searching, but I had no idea how to start or, you know, if that was a good idea, if I'd be hurting other people. Um, there wasn't, I never heard stories of birth parents, um, uh, never heard stories of search and reunion, uh, really was not in the media um, at that point in time. And I ran across The Adoption Triangle, which was one of the first books, um, I think at that point in time, maybe one of maybe two or three books on the uh, market about search and reunion and records and openness and secrecy and adoption. And um, I was in a bookstore and it um, leapt off the shelf at me and I just couldn't believe that somebody had written all this down and I stayed up literally all night reading it. And it was so exciting because it opened up all kinds of stuff for me that had been very internal and just very, um, I hadn't even put words to in my mind, you know, sort of read somebody writing about all this and to read people's experiences and especially birth parent experiences because I um, had really no understanding of, you know, uh, that side of the equation. And so that helped me dispel a lot of the myths that you know, I weren't sure if they were true or not, but it helped me to to see more accurately um, how different folks felt. And um, and so one thing led to another, and I started a search in, um, when I was 25 in 1985 um, and completed it. It took me a year. Um, today, of course, it would take maybe a day, <laughs> um, but completed it in 1986 and reached out to my birth mother after you know, lots of thought and preparation and um, trying to figure out the best way to do that. I called her on the phone because I wanted to have, um, I wanted to be as discreet as possible and I wanted to um, have that feedback and, you know, know what happened. I didn't want to just send a letter out into oblivion. Um, she answered the phone and I carefully explained who I was with the words I'd planned out. Um, and she said, oh my God, I've been praying for this call for 26 years. Um, which was not on all the, you know, wasn't on my list of things I prepared for. So I was the one that was in shock. You know, I was so worried about shocking her and I was speechless. Um, 
but uh, you know, she was very welcoming, um, started telling me about her mother, whose name was Betty, who had red hair, who was a nurse. I was working as a nurse at the time um, and making connections and then started telling me about my birth father, who turned out she married 18 months after I was born. So they have three kids that they've raised, two are identical twins, three boys. I was the only daughter, the only redhead. Um, and um, I formed a really good relationship with them. And I was really fortunate in that my adoptive parents, and my birth parents were both very open to meeting each other and incorporating each other in our extended family. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it's worked out amazingly well. Um, but I was really left with a lot of energy thinking, you know, no one should have to go through the, all that alone. It was obviously such a profound experience. Um, I had friends and family that I was keeping up to date, but nobody that I really felt um, fully understood um, what I was going through. My birth mother had been from Philadelphia, so I traveled to Philadelphia on my search trips, timing them for when the adoption forum had meetings um, and met Penny Partridge and some other folks, you know, way back when. And, um, and so my dream became to start something in Cleveland to bring people together. Um, but also it just really struck me as a social justice issue. Uh, in Ohio, the records were open to people adopted before 1964. So I was I fell into that category, but I didn't know that for many, many months of my search. Um, and uh, But then they were shut down starting in 1964, and that just felt so wrong to me that, um, you know, that people couldn't access that and that, you know, um, for the juxtaposition that some people could and then, you know, due to what seemed like a pretty arbitrary date that other people couldn't. Um, and so never, never having been involved in legislation, I jumped in with both feet to um, see what I could do to get that changed. Um, so the next thing you knew, I was the leader of the state coalition that had just come together maybe the year before and um, we had a bill that that group had gotten introduced um, in 1980, 1989, as I was starting Adoption Network. Um, and it just, it was, um, you know, the opposition came out full force. Uh, the bill passed the House uh, pretty easily. And then when it got in the Senate and looked like it might actually pass, um, Ohio Right to Life got involved, the National Council for Adoption got involved, so Bill Pierce, you know, came to Ohio, and um, and uh, so that just, you know, for me, that really fanned the flames of um, trying to get accurate information out, because all the things that they were saying were so bizarre, and uh, so, um, you know, gave it our best effort, that bill didn't pass, obviously. Um, the next year, we found a sponsor who her legislative aid was adopted. And so she had a lot of energy for the issue. Um, she carried a bill for us three years in a row. And actually the first bills that we worked on um, were would have um, had three aspects for each uh, aspect of the triad. So it would have opened up um, the original birth certificate to the adoptive parents before the child was 18, then to the adoptee directly um, once they turn 18 and close it to the adoptive parents at that point. Um, and then for birth parents, um, I can't remember if it was 18 or 21, but it, you know, it opened the um, amended birth certificate to the birth parents upon request. Um, and so we had several attempts 
toward that and um and eventually Ohio came back there was a whole task force on adoption and you know it definitely put the issue on the on people's radar um and the task force came back with uh, very conservative um, suggestions, recommendations, um, and they ended up passing a bill that opened up records prospectively, kind of. Um, it flipped things around. So instead of records automatically being closed with a registry for a birth parent to open them, which we always called the reunion proof registry because it was the most crazy system you can imagine, but that's a whole other interview. Um, but um, they um, uh, stopped closing them unless the birth parent asked for them to be closed. And to my knowledge, no birth parent ever has. So post-96, um, the records, for the most part, are open. That's still a law that we'd like to go back and try to get um, adjusted because it's still not quite right, um, the post-96 records. But when so we had bill after bill after bill, we've worked on a lot of other legislative issues as well. Adoption Network Cleveland has been involved in other um, legislation around ethical practice and equity um, in adoption law. And uh, so through all that, um, working on finding somebody that would be a good sponsor, you know, we had several stops and starts, several uh, different um, attempts along the way. Um, and then in uh, 2000, I guess, 13, uh, the beginning of the year, really found an opening. Um, in the meantime, we uh, Ohio Right to Life had been our huge opposition. And in the meantime, we had also, on a parallel course, trying to find a sponsor, had been trying to find inroads to help educate Ohio Right to Life. So um, had some success on that front um, and um, found kind of a dream team of, of sponsors um, in 2013, and that's the bill that, that finally passed. Can, can I interrupt real quick and just ask, yeah. what was the educating that you did with um, Ohio Right to Life? A lot of the conversation was, you know, all the adoptees that we're talking about are already born. This really isn't an abortion issue one way or another. Um, there was one person who was a leader in Ohio Right to Life who I think felt very strongly about this issue and, um, you know, kind of um, was able to put it on their agenda, even though I didn't see it as being primary to, you know, to their agenda. Um, their leadership changed um, due to a lot of in internal politics. Uh, and the person who um, was left in charge as an adoptive parent and um, understood I think our position a lot more. Um, and so there was an opening there to, to help to educate um, Kate Livingston, who's a birth mother. She's now in Michigan, but she was, um, her origins are in Ohio and she had really um, taken on, she was a big part of our team and she had really taken on, um, you know, returning back to Ohio right to life repeatedly until the, the time was right for them to, to listen and hear it differently. Thank you so much for filling that in. I was thinking also of the turnaway studies where um, a lot of times people conflate yes. the decision between uh, abortion and adoption. And we find out that that's not the case in 91%. Yeah. They talked a lot about the if the records were opened, they originally thought that it would tarnish the reputation of adoption, um, that people couldn't trust the institution of adoption 
if the records had been, you know, if they'd been in their mind assured that the um, records would be closed um, and then the lot was changed. And um, so I think a lot of it was educating them around, um, you know, what options or lack of options uh, birth parents had and, um, you know, what birth parents by and large want uh for them to see it differently but yeah i think they they felt like um so i think the turnaway studies which i don't think had come out yet or at least it wasn't on my radar at that point in time but we showed a lot of statistics of what had happened in different states because they thought when this was a hypothetical thing through all those years of the different bills they felt like there would be less adoptions and more abortions if the, if the records were available. Um, personally, I thought there would be no correlation either way. Um, but as we looked at states that opened their records, and I'm not sure that it was because it was a direct correlation, but you know, it, it did show that adoption numbers stayed strong. There weren't more abortions. You know, I don't think that most women are running out and researching adoption record law before they make their decision you know, if they're thinking about placing, um, either way, but. Well, and we uh, have, we have no shortage of things that can tarnish the reputation of adoption. If they're yeah, sorry. I'm happy to talk to them. Uh, <laughs> Betsy, what do you see looking ahead? What do you see as like the most pressing issues in adoption uh, legislatively, um, you know, pertaining to the law, pertaining to ethics? What do you, see as the most pressing issues that we're dealing with today? So we have a long list of issues that we'd like to address with the legislature, um, and they really fall into um, equitable and ethical practices. Um, we've done a lot of work around keeping siblings together um, through foster care and into adoption, or at least um, the ability to be in touch with each other. Um, we are working with the donor conceived community to um, look at uh, donor identification um, in future donor situations. And um, we're also continuing to look at that 96 law. Like I said, I don't think it's really impacted anybody's ability to get their records. Um, the law that we got passed in 2013 that was implemented in 2015 covered the records in Ohio from 1964 through 1996 and it opened 400,000 records. Um, so we're good pre-64, we're good, you know, pre-96, but that post-96 thing is still not, not the way it should be. Um, uh, we've been looking into, um, Kelsey, as you're aware, um, adoption providers and um, ethical practices and um, some um, providers that aren't licensed or aren't um, really shouldn't even be practicing and, um, you know, what we can do ab about them. Um, we'd like to promote, um, I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could just take money out of adoption altogether, right? I agree, <laughs> so, I agree. I agree. You know, um, so, you know, yeah. chipping away at things, I, you know, there's a lot of things that yeah the system isn't ready to, you know, just switch completely, but, you know, how do we make, how do we bring the human stories forward um, yeah. to have people yeah. understand more? Yeah, and I'm very pro like cutting off some important limbs of this field that they're like the like the unlicensed um, intermediaries that, you know, they, they're a huge problem in, in the rising cost of adoption. It's fee stacking, they're 
um, you know, everybody's hands are in the pot, I guess. And then I think that makes the cost go up. And I think, which causes adoption to be more transactional. And I think there's a lot of that going on. And, but yeah, cutting off some of those limbs, I think would be a really good start um, to make, to get some of this money out of adoption. Right. Yeah. Until, until relatively recently, um, advertising was restricted. Um, so advertising openly for a birth mother to place a child with a family was restricted only to agencies, not to um, families just being out there. And that changed, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe, or less than 10 years ago. And, um, and that opened up the floodgates to all kinds of um, disreputable uh, happenings. So that's something we'd like to yep. change back to be more similar to how it was originally. Right. Yeah. I'm all for that as well. What, what is it like as an adoptee being an advocate in this space for as long as you have been? I know when I was leaving, um, the adoption field or trying to, as we know, it's not been totally successful yet. Um, I remember you said to me how uh, just contentious this space can be and how that can weigh on you um, and how that affected you at one time. Um, can you talk more about that and and how you've pushed through it? Um, you know, I think being a leader in any cause you can become a target from all sides right and so not only you know there were periods of time where not only we were you know fighting the fight with people that maybe politically opposed us but you know even within the adoption world um you know there's there's different feelings which i got um and uh so you know very much some of the nuances and i'm not saying they're not important they're very important but you know you also have to be realistic and make the choices that you think are going to work best for the you know vast majority of people and um so th there was a bill i don't remember even when it was like maybe early 2000s we alongside the access to birth certificates we were also trying to standardize who could get who could get what non-identifying information and, you know, as, as probably each of you know, you know, crazy things happen in the legislature and, um, you know, all kinds of crazy things get said. And, um, and I don't know, we thought we at least had that non-identifying information piece, which in some ways was like such a small thing compared to everything we were going for. But at least when everything else was falling apart, we felt like that was going to happen. And then that piece fell apart, too. And I remember, you know, I just like lost it. <laughs> so... Um, it was really hard and a lot of hearings. There was a judge who said um, that the only birth parents he ever heard from were ones that want, that were in prison and wanted somebody to send them cookies or somewhere to go when they were, um, when they were let out of prison. You know, people were just saying crazy things and it was so difficult. So I, I've got a much tougher skin, um, you know, from doing this for many years. Um but uh, you know, you really have to just toughen up. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to answer the question of like how I did it. I just, you know, I built, I felt that strongly about it that I kept coming back and built the resiliency that was necessary to stay at the table. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think, I, yeah, this can be a super dehumanizing space um, to be yes. in from the outside world, but then in the inside community, I think um, it's not always the most supportive place. I think that finding your people and your 
your your group that that is truly supportive is is key but also um yeah it can't be your only support you have to like support yourself and get through it um because it's I don't know it's not the most warm and fuzzy space yeah yeah, yeah. there's a lot of you know you're dealing with the external politics mm -hmm. but there's a lot of internal politics to be dealt with as well yeah. and so, you know, finding to the degree that I could finding ways to to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of traumatized people, a lot of yeah. people yes. who have trauma people. that's, yeah, really hurt, that hurts and comes up and flares up in different situations. Yeah. Um, speaking of support, Betsy, I would love to hear you just talk um, about Adoption Network Cleveland. It's been 35 years. You just celebrated the 35th anniversary, I know. And I would love to just hear more about um, how that's grown and evolved over the 35 years. Thanks. Um, well, when I first started Adoption Network Cleveland, I tell people now I was young and naive and energetic, and I hardly knew what a nonprofit organization was. Um, and, uh, you know, but again, I was determined and I um, felt that strongly about it, that I was going to teach myself what I needed to know. Um, I worked in child mental health as an RN previous to starting Adoption Network and wasn't looking to change careers. Um, I, you know, this was a volunteer thing I was doing. Uh, but it, as it as it took over my life, um, it was the right conversation at the right time. And again, this is pre-internet, so um, you know people were hungry to connect and to find resources. Um, and so as it took over my life, I ended up phasing out of nursing and um, you know phasing into doing doing this full time. I was a volunteer for seven years, the first seven of those thirty five years. Um, but I think one of the things that Adoption Network has done really well is to uh, listen. It's really, you know, a lot of it is a listening project. What does our community need? And so what, um, you know, and how can we meet those needs? So uh, what's, you know, current um, and really looking at it from um, a holistic viewpoint of not just one aspect of um, the adoption constellation or another, you know, really bringing people together to share in that conversation. We have some services that are separate, um, but um, I think, you know, what people really like the most is opportunities to come and learn um, from each other and to hear stories that they might not otherwise hear about um, people that have lived, you know, the other side of the equation type thing. Um, We've worked a lot with the county around kids in foster care, um, who all too often age out of care and don't find a permanent family. And so they're, you know, kind of legal orphans, if you will. They've terminated parental rights, they're growing up in foster care. Um, and uh, so, you know, finding new ways to help um, recruit families and bring, bring people together around those kids' circles of support. Um, it was a new concept about 20 years ago and we had a big project for their county around, um, you know, how do we find people that these kids might name, you know, maybe their relatives, birth relatives, maybe they're um, somebody they know at school or somebody in their church community or somebody that lives down the street or, you know, who would the child say that they'd like to have at the table if we ask them? And that was a novel idea at the time, which is kind of sad, but, um, uh, you know, so really, you know, making a child center and instead of trying to recruit strangers to um, adopt this child, you know, how do we look within their circles? And uh, so I'm, I'm really proud of that work. We got a lot of kids, um, permanent relationships that they wouldn't have otherwise had really hundreds of kids um, through that project. 
Um, so it's been it's been a real journey. Um, and there's people often ask what's next. And I, I feel like we're really responsive. So it's sometimes it's hard to know to plan out too far ahead, like what's next, because we I think we're good at um, picking up opportunities or creating things when they're needed. You know, I'm in Denver. I'm not in Cleveland, but I'm so glad that I'm on your mailing list anyway. And I highly suggest that people get on your mailing list if they aren't already, because um, of all that we get to benefit from all the listening you do and how you know what's coming up for people and then begin to respond to that and bring forward um, educate people who can educate on those topics. Um, so I've, I've, I've just benefited from so many of the offerings that you've had, even though I'm not in Cleveland. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's been interesting since the pandemic. You know, by necessity, we took our um, programs, our peer support programs and educational programs online um, that we were doing in person for all those years previous. And now that we have a choice, do we want to do this online or in person? There's some things that we brought in first, back in person, but a lot of things we've chosen to leave online because we really have a national audience and we don't want to stop serving all those all those folks. And uh, so our general support meetings, that's kind of the cornerstone of the organization that we've been having all the, the full 35 years. Um, you know, we have people that sign up from all over the place, live in communities that don't have something like that. I was um, one of your cheerleaders and celebrators um, in 2015 when that law changed in Ohio, thanks to your efforts. And as part of um, my 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 tangential involvement that day that time i remember a story an adoptive parent story about your father yeah. would you share um his evolution as an adoptive parent who loves an adoptee um sure so through the course of my uh search and reunion and the subsequent political involvement my dad who is an attorney um, was always really, really supportive and um, starting the organization, you know, he helped to give advice and um, help me structure things. Um, and um, I guess maybe three or four years into Adoption Network and um, several, you know, probably three or four years and two or three bills um, on that legislative issue, he pulled me aside at a conference that we were having and um, said that he had to share something with me. And um, he shared that he had um, been the one of the authors of the bill that had closed the records in Ohio. And, in, and that's why they closed in 1964. So he um, was a new adoptive parent and he uh, was told by the adoption agency when they adopted my brother in 1957 that the records were closed and that, um, you know, as a new adoptive parent, he was just learning the landscape and wasn't, you know, wasn't sure, you know, how this all went. And they assured him the records are closed. People, you know, nobody will show up at your doorstep, you know, all of that. And being the young, curious attorney that he was, he went down to uh, vital statistics and on um, just the county level and requested my brother's birth certificate. And they handed him my brother's original and amended birth certificate, just paper clipped together over the counter, not even asking who he was. And so he was horrified. You know, that wasn't what he was expecting. Um, and um, he was very politically involved in our community. And so, you know, he envisioned, you know, not only that the birth parents could find his family, but maybe a reporter, you know, the, you know, you don't know what's going to happen if they're just open to the public like that. 
And so he was on the board of the adoption agency that he um, was that my parents used and got together some other adoptive fathers and they wrote a bill to shut um, access. His, his thrust was to shut access to the general public and have it be restricted access um, through the state vital statistics instead of just over the counter at the county. Um, some of the parents in the group felt that the records should be closed to the parties. And that's why he didn't tell me right when I started Adoption Network. He, he, he was at this conference that we were having and it made him go home and look through his records and see um, if the bill that he had worked on had anything to do with this. Because um, he didn't really remember, you know, um, exactly what year it was or exactly how that conversation had ended up if it closed the records to the adoptees. So he came back and uh, testified for our bill, um, said, you know, I authored this. I was wrong. I was short-sighted. I was brand new at all this. I was scared, you know, a new adoptive parent. I didn't know what to think. And um, it went too far and it's hurting people and it should be changed. Um, that was in the mid nineties. Um, so it, it didn't change for another I don't know, 20 years. Um, so uh, he was not, sadly, he wasn't alive to to see a change. There's a, Gene Strauss did a short documentary on it. If anybody's interested, it's called um, an adapt, uh, what's it called? Uh, an adaptee word, I think is what it's called. Um, the Betsy Norris story. <laughs> but uh, he, you know, he couldn't have been more supportive and he and I were very close. So I understood where he was coming from. He he was the kind of, I learned a lot of my activism from him. He was the kind of guy that if something needed to be done in the community, you don't just wait for somebody else to do it. You, you know, jump in and, and see what you can to make things better for people. And uh, so, but yeah, it's, it's kind of like a Greek tragedy of, you know, some a child unwitting, unwittingly <laughs> trying to undo the sin of the parent. Right? <laughs> I love that. I'm really moved. I'm. I feel like I'm about to cry just thinking about the the his his growth and his character arc yeah. as a, a human and um, understanding. And that's something I'm personally kind of going through right now too with my dad. Um, the the release of our book has just opened him up in new ways. I right next to me, just in a precious place is this beautiful letter that he just wrote to me. You know, it's so, I think it's so wonderful when we're out doing activism for others. And then when you see the change and the shifts happening in your own personal yeah. sphere, you kind of move past even expecting that. And then it's like, oh my gosh. And um, anyway, I'm just really touched by your story. I think one of the reasons why that story about your father stuck with me so much is because it, um, of the no better, do better that adoptive parents can adopt in, in the cases like what Kelsey was saying with um, once we figure out that we've participated in something that, that is often unsavory, then what do we do? We do better like your dad did. And then also when you filled in some of the details for me today, um, I was thinking about how much your father embodied the qualities that I think are so important for adoptive parents and adoptive adoption advocates advocates to have, and that would be a curiosity, an openness to new information, transparency, honesty, um, and a, a humility, you know, for your dad to come to you and, and say, I, I did this, now what? <laughs> so I just, yeah. I, I really loved all of that. Thanks. I mean, he had come to the conclusion himself that he was 
on the wrong side of this, you know, I think, you know, way before he, um, you know, we even had that conversation. So it wasn't like I needed to convince him of anything. Um, but he had the foresight to, um, to record his testimony, um, you know, on a audio cassette. It was that long ago. Um, but he, uh, when he came and testified, he recorded it. And then he gave me um, several cassette tapes because he knew this was going to take a long time. And um, so the, his voice is in that Jean Strauss film that I mentioned. Um, you know, she used pieces of his um, testimony in that. But yeah, to be able to come back and publicly say uh, that he was wrong. And, you know, there were newspaper headlines about it. Like it was very public. Um, yeah, but And he was fine with that. You know, he, he wanted to do everything he could to make it right. That's just absolutely amazing uh, that he was able to face up to that and and own it. I mean, like if we yeah. could all do that, really, what kind of a world would it be? Yeah, yeah he was a fantastic role model. So I had a question for you about, um, you know, what activists nurtured you, and now we know your dad. Um, but what other activists were mentors for you? So I, you know, I have to admit I came to this not knowing the landscape really at all. And I jumped in with both feet. Um, so I, in the very beginning, I had never heard of the American Adoption Congress, which was, um, you know, active at the time. And um, our founding conference of Adoption Network Cleveland was a regional conference of American Adoption Congress. And somebody had asked me if I would work with her to put it on. She had volunteered, like, just as a one person to do this whole conference. So she needed help. And um and uh it was very successful. And we really, you know, we um that was really what launched Adoption Network. Um so I started going to the national conferences of American Adoption Congress and met, you know, all kinds of Ken Watson and Kate Burke and um, you know, just um Dirk Brown, a lot of people who aren't with us anymore. Um, you know, probably Betty Jean Lifton you know, prior generation of, of leaders on these issues. And that was so important to me, um, to meet, you know, both the leaders and people who were really um, articulating these things, but also to meet activists from different states and get connected with people who, you know, at that point in time were, you know, so Pam Hasegawa from New Jersey, you know, we were on similar paths, you know, beating our head against the wall, bill after bill that, um, wasn't going through, and this is before any bill had passed. Um, so when Tennessee finally passed, you know, a very kind of convoluted, you know, watered down bill, and then that ended up in court. And um, Fred Greenman, you know, there's so many people that were important, you know, getting this these things passed. Um, and then the Oregon, um, the ballot issue in Oregon passed. Um, that, and that, you know, as, as other states started having some success, obviously that really helped. Ohio didn't want to be the first. Um, so that was a big part of it. Okay, one of the things that I really love about you and your organization is kind of how it's, it's you kind of embrace all sides, which is obviously something that we, advocate for with our book um, is how much more powerful everybody is together. And I've been working with you on an issue in Ohio for, I don't know, like a year and a half, maybe. Um, yeah. And we've had um, collaboration from, from agencies, um, attorneys and um, adopted parents and the adopted parents that you have in your orbit in Ohio have been 
phenomenal and have stepped up to the plate. Um, even people that have, you know, maybe gone about things initially the wrong way in the adoption process, they've come full circle and they've said, this wasn't, you know, what I intended. This isn't how I intended to build my family um, in this kind of unsavory way. What can we do um, to create change? And so I just really appreciate, it's not a question. I just really appreciate how you um, see that, that power and how it can be harnessed when we all work together. And, um, and I just, I see a lot of adoptive parents in your network, um, kind of using that privileged power to, um, to, yeah, for equitable, um, change and, and advocacy work. And so I really appreciate that. Thanks. Well, I certainly don't do it alone, you know, so, yeah. um, you know, we've brought together a lot of, um, people and, you know, that, that comes back to listening, that um, those are parents who, you know, maybe didn't start out their journey thinking this way at all, but, you know, both their parenting journey might have brought them to realize like, okay, there's a lot more to all this and listening to their child and, um, but, uh, you know, also listening to others um, within the adoption network. We have a board member who um, uh, joined our board um, without a lot of experience and he, he jumped in before he really fully had, you know, he jumped into the leadership role pretty new in his involvement with us. And he called me up maybe six months later and he was like, I just had to ask you, are you guys against adoption or like what? You know? <laughs> and we had a really long conversation about, you know, the complexities because so many people see it simplistically. I think if they haven't had the opportunity to hear more, um, by the end of the call, he, you know, he's gonna, he's our brand new board chair now. I mean, he just, you know, could embrace it completely. But his mother was adopted. You know, he had a very old way of thinking about how things should be. And um, yeah. but uh, you know, it just it's there's a lot of energy having brought people together for this many years. You know, there's a little hub of energy here in Cleveland. So we've impacted, I think, how the agencies practice and you know, all kinds of reverberations of that helping yeah, people yeah. understand. That's great. Uh, that that question, I think, is one that just shows uh, the black and white thinking, right? Like, <laughs> yes, we all get it. Yeah. Are you um, an abolitionist or are you pro-adoption? And right, right. where's that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> where's the nuance? There's nothing in yeah. between. Yeah. 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 Um, on your on your blog post recently, um, you shared ten tips um, for uh, what was it? Ten tips, ten lessons you've learned, and one of them was about um, nurturing new activists. And I was just wondering if you could share some words of wisdom for any activists who are watching or future activists who are watching on any side of the constellation, and um, what you would what you'd say to them. Well, like any issue, there's a lot of people who might care about the issue, but there's, you know, only a small percentage of them are really going to jump in and do something about it. So I, I think through the course of this, you know, being that important to me for that many years, I've always watched for people who um, have that passion and also can articulate um, their position and, you know, have the energy to, to jump in. And we all have to start somewhere, right? And so, um, you know, just identifying people and inviting people in and having um, spaces where they can learn. Um, 
when we had our final bill that finally passed, we had a group of like four of us who, um, and there were a lot of other people involved, but there were four of us that were involved on a daily basis, you know, trying to get the word out. And, um, you know, the other three, um, Kate Livingston was one. Um, I met her at a, a hearing from a bill, a couple bills before that one, and she got up and testified, which was so interesting to me because I had arranged most of the testimony, you know, trying to make sure that all the different aspects of the messages got out. Um, I had coordinated a lot of the testimony and she got up and testified and I didn't know her and she happened to be sitting in front of me and I tapped her on the shoulder. She was amazing and I tapped her on the shoulder and gave her my card and said like, if you ever want a job, call me. <laughs> she just was incredible. Um, but, you know, like how can we bring people like that, you know, into working together? Um, it's, it can be so powerful. Um, and we like Adoption Network is a lobby day once a year. So it's a great opportunity for people who um, have never had any political involvement or have never talked to a legislator to um, be on a team of people that visit different legislative offices with training and with materials, um, you know, to have those conversations. There's a lot of great starting places. Does anyone have any closing thoughts, Sarah or Kelsey first, and then maybe we'll let Betsy have the last word. I, I just love um I love this time that we've had with you. I mean, you're you're a living legend and it's just you have so much wisdom and um expertise and you're inspiring for me as an activist and I know so many others. And um I just want to thank you because all of this work sometimes doesn't get appreciation. <laughs> um and I just want you to know how much we appreciate you and I appreciate you and um and know that for everything we see, there's millions of things we don't see um that are happening um and so just thanks so much for your tireless advocacy thank you all right betsy anything else you'd like to share with us or close with um i'd like to thank you and just um say how much i respect your approach of making sure that the three of you you know writing the book with the three of you making sure that the three of you have equal voices in all of this. Um, I think there's so much that we can learn from people on the um, different aspects of the adoption triad or adoption constellation. And I feel like the pendulum has shifted a little bit away from that. So I'm really glad that the three of you are helping to, to shift it back. Um, not that there's not room for people to have services separately, but um, secrecy and separating people have been so uh, powerful in adoption history and so bringing people together is a way to heal that I think um, so thank you for being a voice for that thank you so much for that um, Betsy uh, for uh, and doing your part in this in this sphere too of the bringing together we're so grateful for your time today we're so grateful for all your work and insights and wisdom over the last several decades and um, thank you so much for being here Thanks to everybody Thank who's in, and um, please, please share this with other people, and we'll see you on our next episode.